I wonder if we can say now that the duck face has been replaced with the O face. <laughs> Start the game already! Kapla. This is a ridiculous bottle opener, but it's the only thing this is good for. <sighs> Beer. The last, of my, the last of my Landshark beers. Mm. I have uh, I have some gin just in case I run out of beer, which I am going to. If I have to, I can, you know, take my knife across the street, wave it around until somebody gives me alcohol. Because that's the thing you should do if somebody's threatening you with a strange-looking weapon. Give them alcohol, maybe they'll go away. So, what have you got? I have uh, Queen Street uh, 501. It's uh, Brickworks Cider House. And I have some Ironwood Cider House. I've never seen this stuff before. It's a Caribbean lime cider. Oh. Ciderita. Okay. Can you do it different? Give it a try. Yeah. It'll probably do the job. So how are things, man? Uh, pretty good. Um, been getting some work done around the house. Obviously, I'm not unpacked yet. Everything's still in boxes. But I, uh, I put up a barbecue shelter today so I can barbecue in the rain and the snow, which is coming any day now. I mean, it's mid-July. should snow any time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I fixed the door on the back uh, screened-in porch, which hasn't closed in I don't know how many years. So... How about you? What have you been up to? Uh, not a heck of a lot. It was kind of a busy week. Managed to sneak out and see Oppenheimer today, though. It was pretty good. Yeah. And and you would recommend this movie? Yeah. Um, I have some thoughts on it. So it'll probably take me a while to digest. And I, you know, you have to keep in mind that like we're watching it. It's through the lens of a, a, a biopic on Oppenheimer, right? So it's not a world war ii movie it's not a, a manhattan project movie per se i mean that's a big part of it and it's gonna sound funny knowing that the movie's like a, a three-hour movie but there's some things that i kind of wanted more of oh that's strange um, in a three-hour movie yeah and i think that maybe i'm wrong oh but I have a feeling that we've now reached that tipping point where the average person in the audience is so disconnected from what actually went on oh, during yeah. the, the world wars that some things that you would assume probably should be explained now, you know, like, like if you're going to go back and explain, you know, the, the battle of Hastings, or if you're going to go back and explain, um, like the Hundred Years' War, the War yeah, of Roses. Yeah, or the Greco-Persian Wars, or whatever. Like, you have to explain the context. And I kind of think that yeah. while, you know, Nazis and, and, and Hitler pop culture things, and, and certainly you, the words come up in everyday conversation oh, now. Every day, yeah. But it has almost nothing to do with what was really going on there. And I think that's... um. Part of it is I've been listening, re-listening to a bunch of Dan Carlin stuff, and he did one 
episode uh, called it Logical Insanity. But basically, it sort of explored the topic and the context of how human beings could make the decision to drop the bomb. Mm-hmm. And you can't understand what goes into that decision until you know what decisions they'd already made and what the circumstances were. Yeah. Things like, hey, we were already firebombing major cities in Japan and doing arguably more damage and racking up greater death tolls than yeah. than the bomb. And, you know, how, how do humans, rational human beings, go from point A to brushing off war crimes is just, you know. We're just doing it. Yeah. Just, yeah. This is this is how operations work, and to to touch on the development, the the Manhattan Project, and the the development of that stuff, and not touch on some of the bigger picture stuff, felt like just something that was kind of missing to really understanding the movie and the people in the movie. Like, just to throw an example out there, and I know this was Oppenheimer, so we're not, you know, again, we're not exploring in depth all of these other side characters but they did show that sort of famous scene where oppenheimer meets and this is after the war um uh meets harry truman in the white house and and this is after truman's already made the decision to drop the bomb and that's happened and and he uh oppenheimer talks about feeling like he had blood on his hands and truman basically just gives it to him at that point because he made the decision and then as oppenheimer leaves truman saying to his aide or whoever it was like you know don't let that crybaby in here again. Mm-hmm. But they'd never show Harry Truman, the 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 VP slash former hat salesman that inherited the job uh, when Roosevelt died to to show the contrast of what you know how crazy that period in time was and how how much it made people crazy. So I don't know. I think that was kind of missing. Like it really <sighs> focused more on the Red Scare stuff, which is kind of appropriate to to what yeah. happened to Oppenheimer and his story than it did on Nazis uh you know developing their own uh nuclear program and and you know the the Pacific War and any of that. So it everything just kind of lacked context. So you see all of these things like scientists and politicians and stuff celebrating after the Trinity test without understanding why a large portion of those people think this might be a good thing. You yeah. Know? I mean, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't really no. comment. I, I did watch red letter media's review of it, which they did a really good job actually of not really spoiling anything, mm-hmm. which honestly, you know what? It's the story about a guy who's, you know, who it's like from the forties, like it's a hundred years ago. There really shouldn't be any surprises in there if you've been paying attention, but um, I, I have to wonder about, because, so this is something that crossed my mind when you, when you brought up the idea that, that, you know, Hitler and Nazis are part of everyday conversation now, uh, a comic that I saw at one point about how, you know, like pirates are now a, a thing that kids go out as on Halloween, like, Hey, good pirates share and hug their friends and stuff. And it's like, well, no that's kind of what we see them as now like we we see the pirates of the caribbean and we see pirates you know kids playing pirates as as uh halloween costumes and stuff like that and it's it's fun and cute and it's just people with you know eye patches and funny hats 
And I think we're living through the transition of, because if you look at the way that Hitler is portrayed in a lot of sort of modern pop culture literature, right? Mm -hmm. He's a cartoon. Mm -hmm. Um, And that takes a lot of the sort of weight about how awful uh, the regime that he presided over was. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that any of us living now, because I mean, obviously I, I don't, that. I mean, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we ca- we cannot understand what that time was, and I guarantee you that there are a large number of people, especially in North America, who look at that kind of thing and uh, like I mean, you see people carrying signs around that say Hitler was right, and like no, no, yeah. he was a hundred percent wrong about everything, but. Like, are we are we at the point where, hey, this has become a just a cartoon now, and it's just shorthand for evil, but nah, not really evil. And it it makes me makes me wonder, like, what is the like how how I guess the question, the meta question is like, how long does it take before like, is it too soon? Like, what what is too soon? Is it is yep. it is it not too soon anymore? I mean, yeah, in I my mind, know. it's still too soon, you know, uh, and I probably will refer to Dan Carlin a couple of times here, but he did another sort of exploration on the idea that like somebody someday is going to write an honest book, not, you know, a, a book that's meant to, to just get a lot of attention, but an honest book exploring all the ways that Hitler was actually good you know, and, and, and that Nazis were good because of things that happened in the world as a result of their actions and contrasting it with, uh, we went through a phase where, uh, a lot of people tried to overcorrect on the messaging around the Mongols. And, you know, they talk about how, you know, they created trade networks that connected Asia and Europe and all the positive things that happened as a result of that, because, the bodies are cold and the millions and millions and millions of dead are now nameless for, for a large percentage of the population of the world. And the general consensus is like, you'll get your, your nut job books, but you won't get your earnest explorations of the positivity of, of, of Hitler and Nazism for, for a while yet, because the wounds still fresh, but, if we're we've already turned him into a cartoon character, so you can clearly see that we've kind of made that progress in that direction. And I guess that's why I kind of feel like movies that are like this, that are attempting to to sort of okay, there's obviously license taken in a lot of the stuff that's portrayed on screen, but it's a reasonably earnest attempt to portray facts in a way that your audience can can absorb them even if you're having to simplify things or or whatnot but i do think we almost have to to explore those things and just not assume you know when somebody hears nazis or hitler they really get how that made people feel at the time you know and this movie you know like i say they started really pushing the 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 red scare stuff and and leading into sort of McCarthyism and whatnot more than they focused on 
ooh, the Nazis are building the bomb. Like that was the first five minutes of the movie. And then they really didn't touch on it again. Well, this, the thing is like the way that the history rolled out and I'm going off my memory here, which is mm -hmm. extremely hazy, uh, is that like they started the development of it and then basically Germany was defeated before, mm -hmm. really before the Trinity test even happened. Yeah. So like, it's like the Nazis are building the bomb and then they, they're, they get most of the way there. The math is complete or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, who cares? Like Germany doesn't matter anymore. Like they're done mm -hmm. at the, at this point. It's like, how do we, how do we stop? Yeah. And they explore that a bit in the movie, you know, the, the, Hey, do we, do we stop the program now? Because the reason that we started has disappeared. And that's part of that whole logical insanity sort of idea that led to, uh, decision makers uh, making the decision to drop the bomb is the idea that you can rationalize war crimes if by ending you know 150,000 lives let's just throw a number out there you're saving 300,000 lives in the long term by letting you know avoiding having oh. the second world war turn into uh, the First World War, where it was just a, a years and years long meat grinder, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to like. That's a decision that I hope that I that no one ever has to make mm -hmm. again. But it is a, like it's a tough decision because it's not simple math. Like these are people you're talking about. Yeah, you know, and you can. But see, you and I like, couldn't make that decision right now because we we aren't there. Right. You know, like the, the context of everything sort of mattered and they really just avoided all of that. Like uh, they just a brief sort of mention of uh, uh, firebombing Tokyo and, and, and sort of the number of deaths there. But they didn't didn't really, you know, oh, well, we can do the same thing with one device and, you know, it'll it'll force them to surrender. That's about all we got. So I just I don't know that a large percentage or a large enough percentage of the audience. No, I think Probably based on the trailers enough too, detail out of the context. That's all. I think a lot of the, the people going to the movie based on the trailer were probably expecting like uh, a Michael Bay movie. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, a lot of Christopher Nolan stuff has been. Different. Mm -hmm. You know, this still had the. Um, you watched uh, Interstellar, yeah? No. Oh. No, I've missed out on an awful lot of movies in the last few years, just from time, mostly. My, my pop culture references are, are dated at best. You know, and, and, and selfishly, I should probably say that it would have been a little bit nicer to even just pay lip service to how large the Manhattan Project was. Like, they talk yeah. about establishing, you know, Los Alamos and, and, and a couple of other spots chicago and whatnot in the states without even mentioning and, and again you're not going to get into oh hey we're we're building a a, a town up north in ontario called deep river chalk because river. we're well chalk river was the 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 facilities right but the the town deep river was built well okay during this that time okay so for full disclosure for everybody who's listening yeah, yeah. i live in deep river and i work at chalk river so yeah yeah, and we the the site was part of kind of the Manhattan Project established at that time. Chalk River is a, it's 
it's complicated and uh, my apologies to anyone who's local who actually knows the history because it's i'm going to get this wrong but uh sort of kind of what happened was there was a town at the place where chalk river was and they moved it down the road to what is now deep river in addition to that in order to house the the scientists engineers technicians laborers and all of that stuff they actually brought a decommissioned military decommissioned i don't know anyway like a bunch of houses like they literally picked them up from a military base and dropped them in, the, in town and that is the town of deep river um so yeah like deep river didn't exist they they sort of made it to support that part of the project but there was a town here called chalk river that was yeah. in a slightly different location and then when they built the plant for the, the longest time actually the uh the fiction was that it was a rubber plant like it was, they made tires there or something like that. Yeah. Now it was, they, they, oh man, I, I don't remember the history. You probably know it better. So there was a research program in Montreal called the Montreal something. I think that uh, actually had relocated to Chalk River, I, which kind of kicked things off there. I don't remember. I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I know I had a, a little thing during orientation where they told us the stuff and I was, uh, to be honest with you, I was zoned out. No. I mean, I had been working out West for like a year and a half. I was exhausted. Anyway, Chalk River, Deep River is kind of like, and there was another one in BC too, but it's sort of our own little Los Alamos type situation. So watching them build the town of Los Alamos in this movie to house the families and, and whatnot of, of all these scientists and, and personnel, like it would have been cool if even just a one-liner saying, hey, we've got these popping up all over the place. Just to, to, to sort of communicate the scope and hey, selfishly, because you live in the area, it would have been neat to get a reference. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you getting this uranium from? You know? Yeah, but that's that's another thing that happens about like there's there's a lot of misinformation that happens about what happened in World War II because, <laughs> right? Like, who, what, where do we learn about that? We learn about it from the movies. Who makes the movies? Hollywood makes the movies, and Hollywood is in the, in America, and it's like, it's you know patriotic thing. It's like let's tell America's story in World War II, but mm -hmm. it was a world war. Like everybody was there. I mean, did like the they, British did, were a re like decent contributor to the Manhattan Project as well. Like, yep, yeah, yeah. There was uh, there was lots and lots of people working on that. The Americans had the money. That's that's what that was America's biggest contribution to World War II. Actually, was just money because you know they had a functioning economy at that point, and pretty much no one else did. Oh, anyway. I, history is complicated. People are complicated. The social factors of, of the war with Japan at that point would have been like impossible for 1940s Western civilization to even deal with, right? Because I, I think, and my understanding of Japanese culture is minuscule at best, but the little bit that I do understand uh, suggests that like a Japanese surrender was an unlikely scenario. So, mm -hmm. I mean, at that, like, at that point, what do you do, right? It's like either we, we go at each other in a meat grinder for the next 50 years or, or this. It, I mean, is it right? No. It's probably one of the least wrong answers to the question. Right? I don't and think there were that, any. That's that logical insanity sort of component that it yeah. would have been, it would have just made a lot of what we saw towards the end of this movie 
just a little bit less cartoonish, you know? Ah, uh, yeah. That's all. Like, you just, oh, they, they're, they're taking the bomb and running with it, and they haven't learned any lessons from it, and they're immediately looking at um, uh, hydrogen bombs afterwards and sort of plowing into that despite recommendations from Oppenheimer and stuff not to develop that program. Like, they just, they didn't flesh that out. Like, the, the most we got really was just the the almost cartoonish and, and I'm not saying it's even unrealistic because it was pretty cartoonish, I understand, back in the day. Anti-commie sentiment where like, you oh just, my Lord. you know, you're, it still you're, exists. You're, oh, yeah, absolutely. But just the, 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 you know, the, 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 like, not, not trusting your neighbors, your neighbors are commie, the people down the streets are commies, you know, just mm-hmm. how distrustful everything was. But that is a result of sort of the context of all the shit that was going on <laughs> like you know it's yep. you know aside from killing a lot of people i mean war really changes societies it does you know yes take a country like the united states that just strictly speaking doesn't get involved in foreign affairs and turns them into what they are today right yeah yeah i was just about to say yeah I, i'm well actually no yeah what they are today fair enough Mm-hmm. like the the it's funny to me like and i only probably i i kind of knew this but it only really sort of became part of my everyday conscious thinking a couple of years ago uh like banana republic right it's a store at the mall but it was actually a thing mm-hmm. that you know like american businessmen got military forces to take over countries literally to grow bananas now, and the the idea that that like commercial and financial forces do that, and that people can like small groups of people can like make that kind of thing happen, is a little bit frightening and disturbing as an idea. And that's why half the bananas you see in your grocery store still have a little Chiquita logo on it. <laughs> yeah, and they all come from cloned monoculture bananas. Like wild bananas no longer exist. Yeah. Ah, anyway, this has been a a frightfully, uh, really pop culture laced reference, (laughs) lighthearted, nerdy discussion. For for context, we're doing this show, we're recording it not too long after we recorded our last show, and our show doc is basically empty, so we're just winging it. Yeah, this is all off the cuff. So It's it's even less scripted than usual. (laughs) So what sort of cheerfully nerdy thing would you rather talk about? Oh my God. Almost anything. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about something. Uh, I was thinking about something the other day and it, I mean, it was another sort of like deep and philosophical discussion. So I, even if I could remember what it was, I, I wouldn't bring it up, but um, I was, Oh, I was looking at something the other day. I, I scroll through Reddit a lot, um, which you know, in retrospect, I probably shouldn't because Reddit has become a cesspool of, of horrible negativity. Um, there are there are some moments of lighthearted wonderfulness, but there's lots and lots of just, oh, my God, is humanity really this bad? Um, but one of the things that, that popped up was I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you. It's an excuse to play it. Do you remember? And this is just a one sentence interruption. Do you remember when the internet was this innocent thing 
that oh. we would interact with and almost trust implicitly. Yeah, there was. Uh, okay, so I'm going to reference H Bomber guy here because I tell you what, he's covered everything that's important to me about the internet. <laughs> um, was it? Was it? I think it was him. Anyway, somebody made a a, a big long video about why Wikipedia is bad. I think it was him. Uh, and and it was basically the idea that like Wikipedia Wikipedia is wonderful. Like it's a single source to go and look at a whole bunch of stuff, but you don't get the depth of analysis you used to get. Like, do you remember GeoCities pages where mm-hmm. you go and there'd be like, somebody has made a page about, oh, I don't know, like the second episode of original Star Trek. That's the whole page, right? But it is this one person who has done this incredibly in-depth sort of, no, it wasn't. It was, um, it was uh, JJ McCullough, who's a political commentary dude out mm. in BC. Um, I would recommend watching him. Uh, I disagree with him about almost everything, but he's very articulate in the discussions that he has. Um, so he's, he's worth a watch. Um, and he, he was, he was talking about like what Wikipedia has the information, but there used to be all these individual pages and that because they were individual, like one person was really focused and did deep sort of research on this one subject and you could trust it. And I, I'm pretty sure the internet was always for porn. You know, that's the way it was. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, Reddit. <laughs> so I uh, uh, I was scrolling through and somebody had posted, here's a screenshot I took in Cyberpunk. And I'm like, oh, I want to go. I want to. One of the things that I actually really enjoyed about uh, Cyberpunk, and it, actually I enjoyed this about uh, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn as well. Fuck Ted Farrell. Um, <laughs> where like just wandering around to try and get a neat screenshot. I wonder if I can, I have, I have a, uh, cyberpunk. Where do the screenshots go for cyberpunk? Do you remember? Uh, depends on what you're screenshotting them with. Uh, I think you're like probably playing the steam cyberpunk. version, right? Yes. So it's possible they're going into your steam folder for it instead of, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah, this is probably somewhere in your app data directory if it isn't in your Steam folder. Well, let's have a look at that. You talk about something for a minute. I'll uh, see if I can find the screenshot and if I can share it. All right, well, I'll go back to the remember when the internet was innocent. It's funny because porn's probably like the safest, most wholesome place on the internet now. I Pornhub <laughs> actually has some really, like, an, not that I watch Pornhub. But I've seen some uh, some comments posted on Reddit, and it's like you know, like people are actually being supportive of each other, and I'm like, this is this is really wholesome on a you know, a video about something nasty. So you probably remember a time when you were uh, so this would have been before like even you and I met. Uh, back in the ICQ days and some of the early sort of Yahoo fan groups days where you'd be online and then you'd just get a random fan person or whatever, just like messaging you just out of the blue. And like now, if that happens, it'd just be instant ignore, instant, you know, uh, block, instant, whatever. Russian spam bot. Yeah. But back then it's like, Ooh, an interesting person wants to talk to me and you would engage with it. And like, I'm sure there were many instances of catfishing and all kinds of stuff going on like that. But like, I oh, have yeah. not people that I've speak to regularly anymore, but like people that I made like established sort of online friendships with that carried on for decades afterwards. Yep. 
you know? I, I, do you remember Chronicles of George? Yes. Chronicles of George is still up. Um, the keeper of the Chronicles, actually, I think, the last I heard, he was actually working in the data, data, data center at NASA. So I'm halfway through my first beer, so my, my words are going to start <laughs> becoming slurred and uh, shaky. Um, but I, I read Chronicles of George. I still can't. I'm, I'm like on ticket three, and I'm literally laughing so hard I can't read anymore because there's tears streaming out of my eyes. Um, but there was a, a website, uh, or sorry, a, a chat board. It was uh, Apache BB something something. Yeah. yeah. The, heck? the 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 theme was silver. I remember that. But like there was just a bunch of people who got together and talked about the Chronicles of George. And I mean, I was a part of that community for years and years. I still like I can still log in. Like I still have a user account there. I just haven't looked forever. But yeah, I mean, like they were big, like friendships formed and, and for a, a long, long time. That was, uh, yeah. The internet used to be good, kids. There was a brief window. It lasted about three years. Yeah, before everybody got on it. You know what? I, I have this theory that as soon as enough people get involved, there's like a critical mass of people where everything turns to shit. Yeah, and I, you know, it's not even just the early internet. Like, I almost long for that sort of even pre-internet, like BBS kind of small community thing. Like, I think if I were to wake up tomorrow and uh, big social media platforms just disappeared, I'm not sure how ready a lot of people that are kind of exhausted by this would be to just jump on the new one or the next one. You know, like I think I, I given know a lot of given the excuse to stop, I think a lot of people would just stop. Yeah. But I think if you could find these niche communities again, random blogs or, or you know, random yeah. forums, like like fuck Reddit even, you know, like yeah. random forum about a very particular niche subject, and there's like a hardcore community of thirty people there. Reasonably if- like minded, not trolly. There's there's a, a sort of critical mass uh, where a small town becomes not a small town anymore. Um, and I mean, my small town is relatively unique because we have, like, we're we're probably more multinational than Toronto. Right? It's a funny thing because because I mean, we recruit scientists from all over the world, uh, but it still has a small town feel. And I remember reading a, a study one time. Well, the the summary, you know, the title basically of the summary of a study. I, I did read a little bit of it, but it was it was about like when when does a community get too big to be sort of like that small town community feel, right? Like at what point when your neighbor walks over and says, Hey, my lawnmower broke, can I borrow yours? Do you say no, fuck off? Um, and it turns out that once a community reaches a size of about five thousand it it stops being like a small town and becomes a city where you don't interact with your neighbors. Like today, um, we had some carpets that were in storage when uh, uh, when we were living in the apartment, uh, and you know, like they've been rolled up for two and a half years now. So I unrolled them on the driveway just to see, like, are they full of mouse droppings? Are they, you know, is the body still in the carpet? 
Uh, so I rolled them out of my driveway and I'm sweeping them. And the neighbors from across the street just wandered over and said, hey, you're new to the play, the neighborhood. Like, how long you been here? Like, what, what's, what's your deal? How you doing? What are you doing for the long weekend? We're having a barbecue. You want to come over? Right? And that, that's something that, like, I mean, does that happen in the city? Like, I never, I never had that experience even in, like, Belleville and Trenton, which are not that big. No. No, and it, I don't know. Um, like you have to be big enough that not, not everybody knows everybody. Yeah. Right. Like you get those small communities where everybody knows everybody and that's kind of great, but that comes with its own drawbacks. And then you have like the size of community you're in where there's like just friendly strangers. Yeah. And that's neat. Yeah, it is nice. This is, you know what? I, I did have an idea for a thing that I wanted to do and I, it's a, like another segment or something. I don't know what to call it. I don't know, maybe good news or something, but just to say something positive about, uh, you know, like something that happened today, something that went well, something that, you know, gives you hope for the future, whatever it is. It's just like, I don't know, positive vibes. And, and for me, like that's, that's my thing is that today my neighbors from across the street just wandered over and said hello. And it was, it was not tense. Like we're, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, like their house is like massive, brand new, and they cut their lawn on a diamond pattern, right? Like it's, and they don't cut their grass. They hire someone to cut their grass and to do their lawns, to trim their fruit trees, you know, and to polish the, the granite stone fronts on their, uh, their house. Um, but there was no, you know, there was, it wasn't, I mean, it was a little bit awkward because we don't know each other, but it was, it was reasonably comfortable that they just came over and said, Hey, we're your neighbors from across the street. And it was nice. Well, shout out neighbors. I love my neighbors. <laughs> uh, Speaking of, you read a title to a summary, to an article, to a, <laughs> a study or something. Do you still use slash dot at all? What now? No. Speaking of communities that are just like digressed into a shithole. Oh, I miss old school slash dot. I think we probably both had like uh four digit, like probably earlier mid four digit uh, user numbers way, way back in the day. I don't even remember slash dot, man. Like really? the, the, the name rings a vague bell and I think I was there, but like, I did a lot of drugs back in the 60s. <laughs> Asshole. You're old. You're not that old. <laughs> yeah. There was a thing that um, uh, somebody put, it was a, like a poster that somebody put up at school when I was in high school, you know, and it was a, like an actual literal poster that they had written with markers because this was well before the internet. Uh and and it would literally had one one thing on it. It was a big heading that said, "How many of our teachers were at Woodstock?" And then there was a subheading: "How many of them are still there?" <laughs> uh, fun fact: people who were at Woodstock are probably in their seventies now. A lot of them. A lot of them are dead. Well, yeah. <sighs> it's crazy so, how long ago that was. Like it was basically yesterday. 
and also incredibly long ago. When you well, think of yeah. just how much has happened in the world since then. Some years ago. Yeah, it's weird to me that a lot of, like, the people who were sort of involved, well, I mean, like, Bernie Sanders was at Woodstock. Um, and so that's that's about the right age, right? And you think about, like, how many of the people of that generation who were, like, protesting the war in Vietnam and, like, protesting all kinds of stuff, and free love and all of this stuff, and, like, what did they do to the world? Like, wow. Yeah, so. So here's a yeah, thought the, that'll make you feel old. Uh-oh. We're rapidly approaching the tipping point where the time that has passed between Woodstock 99 and today is more time than the time between Woodstock and oh. Woodstock 99. Woodstock 99 was a bust. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, that's something that feels like basically yesterday to me. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, sort of the time passing and how weird that feels like as you start to get older and how much, you know, like when when I think about sometimes like, oh, yeah, I remember that thing that I did in my 20s, 30 years ago, damn near mm -hmm. like that's that's crazy. Right. Like, I mean, when we met it, at stream, I was in my mid twenties and that was a lifetime ago. Yeah. Yeah. I was like. 12. 20. <laughs> Maybe just turning 21. Yeah. It was a long time ago. <sighs> we grew up, man. Well, we grew well, old. We grew old. Yeah. Out Maybe, but not up. Out. Oh man, <laughs> spent a lot of time on my feet in the last few weeks. And I, I'll tell you what, getting out of bed these days, the first few steps out of bed is, is like, Oh, feet don't work. Feet don't work. That's uh, yeah. So now that you have this room to yourself, what plans do you have for it? Well, um, I had some major plans until the giant piece of furniture over my left shoulder here um was foisted on me i don't know if that's the right word it was more or less i was voluntold that i was taking this piece of furniture in this room because there's nowhere else in the house that it really goes and it's handy because it's got lots of drawers and i could put you know cables and wires and stuff in there but i had planned on turning that entire wall into like bookshelves and just filling it with interesting and nifty books um so my library plans have been somewhat turned down um i'm probably gonna put the mp3 player in the corner over there i've told you the story about the mp3 player right probably but i don't remember it so uh, back when tiger direct was still a thing i was uh, i was going to work at west uh, i was flying back and forth every 10 days and i wanted to get an mp3 player right uh, yes my phone would do those kinds of things but i mean the battery life on a phone is not that great you know I didn't have a great phone, so I thought, I'll get an MP3 player. They're cheap. So I ordered one. I think it was $39. Mm -hmm. um, and we got a phone call like three days later to say, uh, is somebody going to be home to receive this MP3 player? To which, you know, my wife said, yeah. Okay. Do you have a parking lot where we can bring the truck in? 
Uh, yes. So they showed up um, with a pallet, right? Like 40 by 48 pallet with this giant box on it, right? And I, I said to the guy who was delivering it, like, can you help me carry this thing down the stairs? And he says, well, I'm not really supposed to, but I mean, sure. It was only, it was only for like five steps, but there's no way I could do it myself. So we carried it downstairs and it was this, it was like five feet high by like 30 inches by 30 inches. And I'm like, what the hell is this thing? So I open it up. It's a server tower. Like it's a server rack, um, like a good one. And I'm like, uh, like, what do I do with this? Like, do I, do I call them? And like, like it says MP3 player and I've signed for it. Like I've, I've received it. And, I mean, and I have never done anything with it other than like just put stuff in it, but I'm going to put it over there and like fill it up with, you know, I don't know, antique computer junk or something. Um, but the funny thing is, is that like two days later, my MP3 player showed up in a little box coming through the mail. I've never heard that story. That is bizarre. It was absolutely bonkers. I mean, it was very close to when Tiger Direct went out of business. So I think it was probably somebody just going, hey, whatever, ship, ship people stuff. Who cares? Because I did call them and say, look, you sent me this thing. And like, what do you want me to do with it? Like, do I need ah. to send it back? And they were like, we have no record of you having, like, it doesn't exist. I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll just keep it then. That's bizarre. And it had like your name on the the. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. It it had the right order number on it. I just got two things on that order number, one of which came on a truck and one of which came in the mail cuz it was like this big. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So you mentioned books. Uh. Uh-huh. I've told you before that I want to I want to start reading more again. Like I used to just eat books. Me too. Back in the day, and I haven't. But I've also hit that sort of tipping point where, like, I used to like books. I have bookshelves filled with books, and, and now they're basically at the bottom of my stairs going into the basement, and they haven't been touched in 15 years. So I've, I'm at the point where I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm just not going to get books anymore, but I want to get a like a decent sort of e-ink kind of uh, e-book reader. Yep. But I keep waffling. Are you pro, now that you have a house that has a little space, I assume your opinion on this has changed a little bit, but are you, are you still pro physical book? Um, I, yes and no. I think that both have the, this is one of those things where, I dif- I disagree with everyone on the internet because I don't think that there is one best solution. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a solution that fits every individual a little better than others. I I enjoy holding a book, but I'm starting to get arthritis in my hands, so sometimes holding books for a long period of time is is a little uncomfortable. Um I have an older version of a Kindle. Uh if if I could buy a Kindle from someone who wasn't Jeff Bezos, I would because Jeff Bezos is evil. Hi, YouTube. Um, I, I, I just assume that he owns everything now. Uh, I, but I, I really, really like it. Like I like having, I like being able to go, all right, I'm not going to wear my glasses to read. I'm just going to make the text bigger. Um, but at the same time, there's just, there's something nice about holding like a book with a nice thick cover and 
mm-hmm. you know, actually turning pages. I do find like for uh, for technical references, a, a physical book is actually better because I can go, oh, I'll just flip back two pages and I'll put my finger in this page mm-hmm. and reference somewhere else in the book. <laughs> Pardon me, and then I can sort of flip back and forth. Um, but I'm I'm pro dead tree books because they're nice, but I'm also anti dead tree books because they're dead trees, right? We don't have enough of those. So eh, I'm waffling too. Uh, of all of the, cause I've had a, a couple of different things to read eBooks with. And honestly, the, the Kindle is the best one. It just is. I don't think yeah. color is necessary, but it is, it is just a nice device. Yeah, no, I, I've never had a proper e-reader. Like I've used my phones and some shitty tablets and stuff. And, you know, the big thing with those is like you can't read out in the sunlight very well. And yes, batteries Kindle's great last. for that. Yeah. And I've looked at some of the, the like the, the Kobos, is it? the? Oh. You know, I, I kind of like the idea of something that I can just load like my own EPUB files on easily without having to deal with bullshit um you can do that with uh with the kindle um yeah it has its own specific thing which is like an azw file or an Mm -hmm. azw file if you're um unable to speak english Uh, yeah because that's i'm you know me my stance on piracy versus fair use I don't object to paying for something. I prefer to only pay for it once. And a lot of the books I read electronically are books I already own on paper. And I just, I want the convenience factor. Sometimes while twice. I could buy it, yeah, while I could buy it again, I, I, I could also just get an EPUB for it. Like, um, Yeah, so um, the, the uh, specific file for the Kindle is literally just, uh, I forget which format it is, but it's basically mm-hmm. one of the EPUB files with like an extra... Yeah, I just thought it had some native DRM built into it that, like, if you uh, loaded it on, it would attempt to, to check ownership against whatever the Kindle store shit is or whatnot. Uh, it it might. I've never used one, so I'm probably wrong. Ow. Ow! Sorry, you probably couldn't see that, but that was my cat deciding he wanted my attention. He was going to dig into my shoulder until he got it. Kevin? Yeah, that's Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Kevin has been <laughs> freaking out because the house is too big. Can't find the other end of it. Gets lost because he's a little bit dumb. Aren't you? Come here. Oh, this is Kevin. He's hello, orange. Kevin. And he's huge. Say hello to the people. not quite as chonky as our ginger but uh it's got a little bit more muscular looking face so he carries his weight a little better our guy's just a sausage <laughs> kevin is not as floofy as he used to be we have stairs now so he's been running up and down them for a few weeks. so have you paid any attention to the Baldur's gate 3 stuff uh no i i was reading something about uh you know like 5e versus Baldur's Gate 3 and they've done this and that and I'm like what what have they what have they actually done like what's what's happening so give me the uh, TLDR 
I mean, I've avoided most of the the pre-release kind of early access stuff. Uh, I think I'm going to buy it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to fit it in kind of like day one or not, but like it looks insanely impressive. Um, So it's not Bioware. It's uh, Larian who did the Divinity Original Sin games. Okay. And um, (laughs) they got some some controversial kind of uh, press in the past couple of weeks with one of their teaser trailers. It was about romance stuff. <gasps> and um the one cutscene they showed was uh the prelude to a sex scene essentially between a character and a druid in, in bear form. <laughs> of course the internet erupts, you know, and it was uh-huh. just, I mean it was funny because it's just like, oh, it looks like they're gonna get it on, and then they just pan up to this squirrel in a tree that like drops a nut just <laughs> And it was basically uh, at that point that I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm in. I'm in because, you know, they get it. Like, it's funny. not, I'm not in it for the bear sex. I'm in it that, you know, like that is. You're not in it for the bear sex, but you're not against it. No, I'm in it for the, the, the people that, you know, that get it. Like, you know, that's the, the dumb shit that would happen at a, at a table, right? With yes. the right players. And, um, like, I don't, again, I don't, really have a ton of experience with the older Baldur's Gate games. I played through Baldur's Gate 2 way back in the day. I skipped one and then tried to get back into it, and I just had like six uh, hours into it, and I'm like, nope. Oh, but, the... Um, so I'm looking through my screenshots here, and I'll tell you what, some of them are... Uh, yeah. Like, I've got some from Horizon Zero Dawn. I haven't been able to find any of the uh oh that's hilarious that one actually took the ui i've been able to find any of the cyberpunk ones and all of these ones have the friggin ui on them oh i'm gonna have to go and find these spaces again and try and figure out how to take a screenshot with it well, cyberpunk UI. has a has a proper photo mode i believe yeah so does horizon zero dawn but for some reason Like, it's taken all of these photos with the with the UI. That's terrible. So this is. Let me see if I can actually share that. Share. I can only share my screen. No, I'm sure it's oh, riveting nope. for all the users. Oh yeah, all the listeners. So here's the thing. Okay. Um, I can on that, but like it just stuff like this, things where there's this, here's this vista, and you can see all the stuff, and there's a bunch of those that I took in Cyberpunk, where it was like just cruising around trying to find interesting places to take pictures. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I mean, you know. Shameless plug, but some artwork up there of mine uh, from Horizon Zero Dawn. Some Mass Effect artwork over here from mine. Um, artwork created strictly because I'm inspired by by doing that kind of stuff. And um, 
you know, my process, I, I, I wouldn't call myself overly creative, but it's akin to like artists back in the day that would stage a fruit bowl and then make a painting, like getting inspiration from exploring games and, and finding these neat vistas and, and just sort of neat sort of vignettes or, or slices of the game and uh, trying to, trying to recreate the vibe in my own style is, is something that I've been doing. Uh, hashtag not sponsored. Nerd, <laughs> nerdflea.co if you're interested in or you can find me on Etsy. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 10. Hey, we've made it here. I think we're probably official. I'm allowed to start shamelessly plugging shit now, right? Uh, I mean, probably. Uh, I mean, guess. <laughs> Uh, I like, I'm not, I'm not sure how much good it's going to do you. Like, I, I have absolutely no problem with you doing that. I just, I'm thinking to myself, I, I'm, I'm not sure it's even I've, worth the effort. I've, I've, I've told less people about my podcast than I've told about my art shit. So. <laughs> uh, uh, no, that's my mission this week. Actually, I want to, uh, start sharing things. We're officially at episode 10. Uh, we're just making shit up and winging it this episode. So it's probably not the, uh, best example of things that they would get listening to us but i'm gonna start uh strong arming people i know to check it out yeah well i mean it's i guess we have enough enough material in the can for people to come and tell us we suck right yeah that's what friends are for yeah so we've got a few uh, i'm gonna skip over retro replay stuff uh did you have any table talk stuff you wanted to talk about i i haven't yeah there's been nothing there's been nothing in the last three days since we recorded that is worth talking about okay uh, although the Baldur's gate 3 stuff is is sort of interesting in that like there it, it's been a while since um dungeons and dragons had any kind of uh like anything in the video game space uh, I, I was thinking to myself, like, I'd really like to get into Neverwinter Nights because I never finished it. I'd, I've never finished Baldur's Gate. I got fairly deep into it. And I had I had more enjoyment in Baldur's Gate actually in finding little Easter eggy things than mm -hmm. I did in actually playing the game. And I've tried to get back into it again. I have Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition uh, on my computer. Mm -hmm. And I load it up every once in a while and try and create a character. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah, like I think the there's a humble bundle out that has like all of the enhanced editions too for Baldur's Gate Icewind Dale. Uh, yeah. I think there's some Planescape stuff in there. Icewind Dale was an interesting one because I remember having the CDs and there was one uh, in Windows 98. I think there was a problem where it wouldn't copy a specific file because that when that file was an input into the copy command uh, in Windows 98, would actually lock up your computer everything else would install except for that one file and you couldn't copy it like literally copy file name to this destination would lock up your computer so i had to put the file into a zip file and unzip it into the location it needed to be for icewind dale to uh actually run and That's i remember weird. that taking it took me a week to figure that out and then i played for like 10 minutes and went yeah this this sucks and i'm done yeah, I think I liked actually Icewind Dale uh, more than Baldur's Gate. Now, Icewind Dale was Black Isle, wasn't it? Was it? Wasn't Bioware? Ah, was uh, I I, they used the, They definitely used the same engine. I remember they did. That. 
Yeah, so it very much felt like the same game. Uh, Planescape was another one that was reasonably similar mm-hmm. um, that I really wanted to like. Just couldn't. All right, well, we do have some uh, questions from Ian. He's uh, been on the road for a couple of weeks, but uh, made some time to send us some some stuff. So let's get into an extended pod bag. All right. got mail all right first question i think we've touched on this one before but i don't think we've specifically answered this uh video games and films have been merging more and more over the past decade what film do you think uh should be made into a video game and what video game do you think should be made into a film hey this the the crossover is becoming uh quite noticeable I find myself a lot of times watching uh, movies and, and series and thinking to myself, like, they've done this specifically to make this sort of scene or or feeling or vibe or whatever so that, like, they can make it into a video game. And I forget the last one I looked at that, that was like that. But, like, any of the Marvel stuff sort of strikes me as, like, this this could mm-hmm. be and probably will be made into a video game. And a lot of it is just crossover due to marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see them because a, a lot of the early Dungeons and Dragons games had strong stories. I would love to see like Baldur's Gate turned into a movie. Yeah. And I mean, the, the D and D movie that came out this year felt the yeah. part like it was yes. Baldur's Gate, the movie it was, it was close to what a Baldur's Gate the movie should feel like. Yes. It had the proper vibe. I don't, I mean, I know a lot of people have, have sort of shit on the, the Dungeons and Dragons. I think like it was, it was good. Um, I think it had the right vibe and that was really the thing that Dungeons and Dragons movies have been missing all along. It's just that vibe, that feeling of, I could see this happening around my table. Mm-hmm. You know, like all of the jokes landed just the way they're supposed yeah. to. They're corny Without being and they're a, awful. overly explicit about it. Like you could have spoon fed that vibe and it would have been lesser for it. They struck yes. the right balance. Yeah. Yeah. They did just right. Uh, now I've, I've spoken ad nauseum about how much I'd like to see mass effect turned into something. I don't think a movie is the right way to go with it. I think a series would be yeah. the way to go just because it's such a big universe and you want to have an opportunity to explore, you know, even just narrative inside it, like a, like a mini series or a treatment, like they've done a couple seasons of last of us kind of thing or, or the witcher or whatever. Uh, certainly not going to be like a star Trek kind of multiple episodes, you know, a season for seven seasons type thing. Uh, but one movie I would definitely like to see turned into a video game. And I have to imagine it's going to happen at some point is the John wick series. Now I know That's they made I a going. John wick hex game which was sort of a, 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 I've never played it, but my understanding is it was sort of a, a like one of those pause and plan out your moves. Like you sort of establish your sequence events and it's sort of a hex-based uh, grid oh. type thing. But then once you sort of created the sequence or planner stuff, then it played in real time and it kind of had the vibe of, of like a John Wick scene playing out when you got to see it all happen. But like something that harkens back to like the good Max Payne games or something. Oh yeah, 
you know, that just, I think, you know, the, 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 the stuff around John Wick, the, the, the universe, the world, the sort of what was subtle ish underground stuff that just got crazy and silly by, you know, second and third and fourth movies. I think that stuff would be easier to accept in a video game. So there would be an opportunity to explore this really, even if you weren't playing as John Wick, uh, explore this this cool culture thing that they sort of established in these, these movies, the the high table, the the continentals, all of that kind of shit. Um, you know, just being like, it's very clear that, that you know, pretty much every second or third person that you see on the street is is a an assassin of some sort based on the John Wick movies. So like you could even turn it into an MMO somehow, but, uh, John Wick MMO would be absolutely epic. I mean, terrible, awful, and full of the worst trolley people you can imagine. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) But like, you know, having, having, having these sort of bounties and, and, and whatnot go out, like it lends itself to questing. Yeah. So I think it, it could do well, but I think a, a tight single player game with the the feel of a Max Payne, but uh, a little bit more. It would be interesting GTA-ish to have GTA-ish in terms of like scope, maybe. It would be interesting to have that kind of a, a vibe as a like a two player co op experience. That would be neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for uh, games that I'd like to see in the movies, besides Mass Effect. That's a tough one. I'm going to cheat. Uh-oh. I want a sequel to, and okay, this movie is terrible, but it's terrible in all the ways that I love. It's a movie that I break out once a year. It's the um, Prince of Persia uh, movie that they did Jake Gyllenhaal back in, I don't know, 2009-ish maybe. Should have been good. It was good. I will die on that hill. It was terrible, but it was it was good. Okay. Like it knew what uh, it was. It was just dumb, schlocky shit with a charismatic lead, and it was fun. I mean, I will literally watch Jake Gyllenhaal talk about eating a banana. So, oh, that's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. He's he's a compelling actor, but he, I like I only barely remember the movie, and to me, that's kind of kind of dire because it should have been great it could have been great i mean for its time honestly i think it was probably the best video game movie yeah or at least close i mean the bar was was, very high but um i would really like to see a movie made and i've never played the game but i would like to see a movie made of red dead redemption Mm -hmm. i mean just i think i think the the time is is ripe for some seriously terrible schlock westerns turning some of the tropes of of westerns of old completely on their heads i think that would be fun that'd be a good mechanism for it i think yeah you know and and they're they're i mean i've i've played a little bit of the second one i haven't finished it i didn't have a console to play the first one but i've seen kids played it and uh i've seen enough of it to get it um it would be good um, up until it came out, I would have said the Uncharted games. 
Um, yeah, that was it. bad. Oh, it was so bad. Like it could, they could have found the next Indiana Jones in that if they'd have done it right, and they just didn't. Oh yeah, it was just so bad, so bad. How is it that you've watched Uncharted, but you haven't watched Interstellar? It's a question of like, what have I got the mental capacity to sit down and watch at the end of the day? Right, Interstellar is one of those things that I I, I would like to. It's in potentia, I would really love to see the movie, but I need to find a time when I don't sit down because most of the time I don't even watch TV until like this time of night, right? And I don't I don't have like cable or satellite or any of that stuff. We have streaming services. Typically, at at this time of night, I want to sit down and watch something that's the equivalent of mental pablum. Uncharted fills that niche. Interstellar doesn't. <laughs> um, I don't watch a lot of movies anymore either, honestly, because at this time, like I'm, I'm sitting down to watch. I'm, we were watching this, uh, this series called Car SOS. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's uh, based in yeah. Britain, and basically, what they do is, is people will write into the show to say, like, "Hey, my dad is, you know, he's got this classic car that he really wanted to restore, but you know, he had a heart attack, and then mom died, and he's basically just set the thing aside, and I think it would really give him a lift." If his car was restored, will you do it? And they come and collect the car and they basically like restore it and sometimes modify it or pimp it up a little bit. Uh, and then they, they do this big reveal where they bring them along and they don't realize that they're about to have their car returned. And then it's like, this is actually your car, right? And it's kind of a tearjerker, but it's also like a really sort of uh, positive thing because it's not like, hey, you know, give us $100,000 and we'll do a thing for your house or whatever. It's just... We're just going to do this. That home renovation show that did that. While you were out? Something like that. Yeah, it was really, really popular like 10 years ago. Yep. Yeah. Same same vibe, yeah. 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 Um, And like, it's, I mean, it's just been, it's 100% good news, right? Like, hey, I bought this thing in 1968 with the hopes of restoring it. Um, And they've done, they've done some, like they did a, a three wheel Morgan which was like from 1940 wow. something. Yeah. And it's like, and they show up to get the thing and it's like, this is not a car. This is, this is like three wheels and a, and a painted sideboard, which is rotted out. And we're going to have to replace like everything. Like it's literally like we're keeping the steering wheel and we're building the rest of the car from scratch. Um, but they do, I mean, they do a fantastic job uh, and they do a little bit of like sort of educational stuff about, this is how a carburetor works, and this is what this goes here. And here's a little trick for changing timing belts, which I the, one of the things that he does that's really really clever is you know how I don't know if you've ever worked on an engine, mm-hmm. but changing a timing belt is really tricky because everything has to stay perfectly in sync. Mm-hmm. And you know the traditional method is you make little marks and then you line them up, you slide the belt over. So he has this this clever thing that what he does is he basically goes around and slices the timing belt in half widthwise takes the front half of it off, slides the new belt on halfway, cuts the old belt, takes it off, slides it on the rest of the way, and then everything is perfectly synced down to the tooth. I miss cars that you could work on. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I used to drive stock cars and stuff, and, like, I I grew up with a garage that always had, you know, project cars going on. And I see a lot of the the creators on YouTube that I follow, like a lot of the woodworkers and a lot of even the tech guys, 
are starting like sidecar channels where they're doing uh restorations on on miscellaneous stuff so jay's two cents the, the guy whose podcast we were ripping off last show uh has a channel where he's doing a, a 60 was a 67 i think he's starting with a 68 camaro that he's doing a restoration on oh um, yeah the one where you could actually step into the hood with the engine yeah a uh, uh the exact opposite kind of car uh uh makes make something no um i like to make stuff uh as a carmen Ghia restoration going on oh man it's been like a, a one or two year project and it's super interesting that's, that's a hard car to restore finding parts for that is oh yeah hard. yeah 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 but you know there's there's something lost in today's cars where like you can't you can't do well, anything they're disposable without, well, they're disposable, but like, you know, they're so locked down and, and, you know, the technology, the, the, the automation stuff, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying old cars are better. Like we've made in terms of efficiency yeah. and, and, and whatnot, like safety, safety, everything about new cars is whether you want to believe it or not, just so much better. Unbelievably but, better. The driving experience is so much you know, nicer in a new car. Like the average user nowadays like what service can they do to their own car? They rarely change their own oil. It's hard. You know, it's really hard. In a lot of new cars. Um, like I still do my own brake work and stuff like that. Cause that's stuff that's still relatively easy. If you have tools, a little bit oil. of knowledge and, and, and you're willing to put the elbow grease in, but, uh, you know, there's, I... there's like, I, I used to, you know, replacing head gaskets and pulling engines apart and stuff on my own. And now like, I just don't. It's not worth I, it. I look under the hood and I look at like count the wiring harnesses and it's like, nope. Yeah. It, no, you'd be three weeks just, just getting to the head gasket. Mm -hmm. I, I stopped changing my own oil um, largely because uh, like there's nowhere to dispose of the old oil. Yeah. And the difference in price between me doing my own and then having to figure out how to dispose of the oil and paying someone to do it is about $4. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, I don't change our oil anymore. Just go through one of the, the drive through ones, basically. Yep. Or we do like, we still go to the dealership to get like winter tires and stuff. Uh, just cause I don't really have room to even want to store them. So it's just like, fuck it. You guys keep yep. them. We have to bring our car in for annual inspections for the electronic anti-rust shit anyway. So it's just like, ah, eh, we'll come here a couple times a year. But uh, brake work and stuff like that, like it's it's amazing how much money you can save doing that. Yeah, our brakes have to be replaced an awful lot up here. It's kind of unfortunate. Yeah. All right, let's get back to uh, Ian. I enjoyed your discussion of what makes a good leader on your recent episode where you spoke about guild leaders, officers, and raid leaders. Throughout your career, have you run into unconventional leaders and what set them apart from your typical leader um yes uh should we talk about the leadership at stream no that's not let's I, just say it was bad and move on yeah so man this is this is a tough question uh, have i run into unconventional leaders yes that doesn't make them good leaders and one thing i've i've found uh, now, 
some of the context here is I've been with the same employer for 15 years now. So I haven't really, you know, dealt with a, a lot of leaders in the workspace for quite a while now. Uh, but I'd churned through a few different industries and call centers and, and at various sort of levels of management. And you can have a good boss that is a shitty manager. You can have a shitty boss that is a good manager. But very rarely do I ever find somebody that is both. Like ever. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've had some some really unconventional sort of people that I've run into that are just like real sort of straight shooters, don't sugarcoat anything. And I found that refreshing. But often they were also a shitty manager, you know? I I have had exactly one there's there's a different it's important I think to make a distinction between leaders and managers uh because they are they are very different. Mm-hmm. I came across a a talk by uh Seth somebody. He was uh one of the the sort of founding dudes at Yahoo. Uh he got out of it after. Now he does like public speaking. He's written a bunch of books. Uh Seth Godin, I think that's his name, uh, where he did a little talk about well, like what's the difference between leading and managing. And it, it was his take on it is kind of interesting where he's like, you know, leaders often make terrible managers because leaders are, are the type of people who have an idea and they drag you along on their idea. But once the idea is up and running, they get bored, like they're done, mm-hmm. right? And they should move on. Like those are the kind of people that you don't want managing. Um, but on the other hand, if your, your system's all set up and everything's going as it is, then a manager is someone who just comes in and oversees the day-to-day stuff. And that is a different skill set. So the, the likelihood that you're going to find somebody who's good at both of those is very low. Um, I have had exactly one boss that I would say was good at both when I was working out West. Um, and I mean, speaking to him outside of work. Nice enough guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, he's from the southern U.S. and we disagree on a, a lot of sort of things. He's from Texas, um, but he was actually a really great person to work for because he was one hundred percent no bullshit. Mm-hmm. He would tell you what he wanted, when he wanted it, and he would ask, "Can you deliver that?" And if the answer was no, he would accept that. But I mean, like the pushback basically was like, what other resources do you need? What is stopping you from delivering that when mm-hmm. I want it? And if it was like, I just don't have the information I need, or I don't know how to get there, or I don't have the tools that I need, then he would either connect you with somebody who had the tools or the time or get you help or simply say, okay, that's an unreasonable ask. We'll do something different. Um, he knew what was going on with the job that we were doing. Not, not so much in the nitty gritty, but he knew the high level stuff. Um, like I was working as a scheduler at, on that job and like, there were times when he would say, you know, like, is this done? And I would have to say, like, I don't know, I'd have to check. And he's like, I think it's done because he was literally looking at every part of that job every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting because there were a couple of times now that was a, that was an odd kind of a situation because there were so many people who wanted that job. It paid really, really well that, uh, like they didn't do interviews. You, you did an interview for that job. You literally said, I'd like to come out and try it. They would hire you. You would come out, you'd work for two weeks. And if you were worth keeping on, you got to come back for your next two week shift. And if you weren't, you just didn't get another plane ticket. 
so like all of the people that I was working with were really high caliber people, uh, which was interesting. I was surprised that I made it, to be honest, because um, mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, like here I am. And, like this is this is ridiculous. Like all of these people are really, really good. Like, how am I going to? How am I going to fit in here? And it turns out that, you know what, like high caliber, high caliber work is what I've been doing all along. I just was never really paid for it. Um, but it was, it was neat because like interacting with this person at work, he, he was an ogre. Like he was, he was unapproachable. Uh, he was, uh, like, you just got the impression that you were always wasting his time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he, he wasn't the kind of guy that you, you know, wander up to him at the water cooler and go like, Hey, how's it going? Like you just didn't do that. Um, and it was, it was interesting and it was a bit refreshing because if you had a work problem, you could go to him and say, I have a problem. And as long as you weren't wasting his time, then he would say, talk to so-and-so about the solution. Like he wasn't going to walk you through the solution. He had too much to do. He was too busy, but he was actually busy. Like he wasn't just pretending to be busy. He was actually busy because every day he talked to everyone that he was that was working for him and that was like 40 people right like that's a full day so that was that was neat because i've had you know in the same way going through call centers in various places i've had lots of bosses who were just terrible right like they like the worst thing that i've found is is wishy-washy people people who we're like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings. It's like, no, if I'm doing a bad job, tell me I'm doing a bad job and tell me what I can do to fix it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being a leader is hard. Yeah. And I mean, in that environment, it's not like we really were dealing with leaders. We were dealing with middle management. It's true. I mean, there's no reason that middle management can't be leaders. But, in that environment, I don't, you know, they're not empowered enough to, to you have to take the empowerment. You really can't. Nobody's ever yeah. going to give it to you. But I mean, like, there's some things that you can't do. Like, there's, you're not going to be able to give people raises. You're not going to be able to change people's shifts, you know, but you can do things like, uh, you know, talk to people and figure out, like, why is this not working? Like, is this the wrong job for you? And if it is, like, I want you to leave. Like, I don't want to fire you. I don't want to get rid of you. I want you to go and do something that will make you feel more fulfilled. Right? But nobody, nobody does that. Yeah. I, 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 have, I have a theory that I have stolen from various places. Um, that leadership is, is not about authority or power. Um, it's, it's just about like taking care of the people around you. You know, leadership doesn't necessarily come from above. It comes from all over the place. Well, that looked like it tasted I'm, interesting. I'm not sure what I expected, but that isn't it. Caribbean lime cider. It's like apples and limes. There's not much apple there. It could grow on me. Okay. Well, I think we've answered Ian's question. All right. Uh, Less serious one. And this one's probably going to take us an hour. (laughs) A zombie apocalypse is upon us, World War Z style, or Zed. 
Uh, you somehow get 48 hours warning of the impending doom. What do you do? Where do you go? And how likely do you think it is that you would survive a week, a month, or a year? Uh, 50, 50, 10%, 0%. <laughs> <laughs> 48 hours is not an awful lot of time to do stuff. It depends on what kind of zombies they we're talking about. Are we talking about like 1950s slow zombies? Well, I guess World War Z style. So we're looking at fast zombies. Um, I don't know. Like I have a, a little bit of a problem with the, the depiction of zombie ap apocalypses in most movies. Mm -hmm. In that like there's, there's only a certain amount of sort of biological material that's available for zombies. Like w what, what happens to like, a, um, Entropy gets to everything eventually, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you're not going to have, like, zombies don't reproduce. I mean, that's not part of the lore, right? They have to, like, bite you, and then you turn into a zombie. So there's, what, now, 8 billion people on the planet? 9, 10, whatever. There's 9 billion people on the planet. Once, like, 8.9 billion of us are zombies, then what? Like, the zombies start falling apart. We're we're not gonna be like there's not gonna be a population boom during a zombie apocalypse because I don't know about you but zombies don't make me horny so like eventually hey, the problem just goes a, away everything's a kink for someone uh, that's true yeah no kink shaming on this channel no not even you know bears or shout out to the zombie bronies out there. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't even know what I would do. What would you do? Well, it really depends. Like you have to define some things. So you got 48 hours warning. Does that mean everybody has 48 hours warning or you have 48 hours warning? Like mm. what do zombies swim? Like, could I, could I make my way to Hawaii, which is, you know, in the middle of the Pacific ocean, pretty far away from everywhere and also by one of the world's largest military bases like mm. you know let's say this thing is starting in europe just to, to throw a place ooh, out there ooh, ooh. here's an idea a, a movie idea okay. zombies with guns <laughs> imagine imagine that you're fighting off zombies but they're not just zombies they're zombies who somehow still remember how to shoot guns so you have like basically rambo but one side of the thing is zombies I mean, if you it would if be you, an ex if you read into the satire, they kind of made it. It was called Starship Troopers. I kind of a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, the the uh, uh, it would be an excuse for why the bad guys couldn't hit anything. Hot take: Stormtroopers are actually zombies under the armor. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, let's let's say that you know I. Zombies probably can't swim across the ocean. I don't know if they can do the uh, walk on the ocean floor thing without, you know, dying a la uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, you know, are, are island refuges reasonably safe? If so, can I make my way to one of those in 48 hours? If I'm the only one that knows about the problem, like, let's say I caught word of, of uh, you know, a zombie outbreak as a result of a, a lab, and we'll call it in Europe this time. If I had inside knowledge that shit was going sideways, like I could probably book a trip for me and my family and, and friends to, to Hawaii. And by the time 
news spread I wasn't competing to get there, right? Like, you know. Yep. In which case, like it's a it's a large enough place to be self-sustainable. It's uh remote enough that like, you know, you're not not dealing with like contagion spreading in the air if it's a contagion-based zombie situation. Apologies to our listeners in Hawaii who who are are sitting there going, what are you talking about? Hawaii is like full of cities and it has like lots and lots of people in it. No, no, that's what I mean though. Like you, but like we're I'm making the assumption that the zombie outbreak is happening in Europe. And I'm I'm looking at mitigation. At some point the people in Hawaii are gonna realize, oh shit's going down. We're restricting travel. We've got a, a large military base with the equipment to do that. You know, the, the, there's, there's warships all over the place already there that can just surround the island, island blockade anything, and, like, there's a viable population. There's a few other places that you could probably say we're in a similar situation, but they're a lot closer to you know, sort of mainland populations than somewhere like Hawaii would be. Um, if if that wasn't realistic and it's like I got 48 hours, everybody knows, you know, and let's say that there's zombies are in Texas. I'd probably just make my way up north. Like the thing about Canada is that like all of our population is within <laughs> 100 kilometers or less of, of the U.S. border. Yep. And most of northern Canada, while not always the most hospitable is incredibly remote yeah. and and i watch enough like Alone, primitive sur survivor man yeah i watch enough primitive sort of survival shit that i'm reasonably convinced that like you know in a couple of weeks i could have a like a, a reasonable sized shelter built up in the trees in in northern canada and you know a means of sustaining at least my family and, and, and myself. And speaking on well, behalf of Northern Canada, where I live, there's also quite a few towns up here. Yes. We're a little more spread. No, out. We that's, have more space. I, I'm not even calling that Northern Canada. I'm talking like North. Like none of it. Yeah. Maybe even, yeah. None of it. Yes. Northern Quebec. Yes. Um, even just Northern Ontario in the other direction. Even Northern Ontario is actually pretty, uh, <laughs> Yeah. Is, is like small towns here and there. So Northern yeah. Quebec is, is a thing though. Like I'm, I'm across the river from Quebec and like across the river from here is, uh, Oh, pardon my French. Cause it's bad. Uh, zone ecologique conservation. So it, we call them the ZEX, ZEC. Yeah. Um, and it's like thousands of acres of basically just empty wilderness with occasional like, Oh, this used to be a plantation back in 1800 when we first mm -hmm. started uh, you know, the uh colonial settling of of uh of Canada. Uh but so like, yeah, I mean while you're you're technically northern Ontario there, that's like the middle of Quebec. Like the amount of Quebec that's yeah. further north than that is ridiculous. You know, if you've ever looked at a map of Canada, like it's kind of I don't say this to Canadians, I say this to anybody else that might be listening. The amount of the Ontario population, for instance, that is actually south of a lot of U.S. population is substantial, right? Like you look at everything from from Michigan west is actually north in terms of latitude of where most of our population lives in Ontario on the Great Lakes. 
pretty much like something like 75% of the Canadian population can drive to Windsor in less than two hours. Yeah. So, you know, there's, we're, we're the second largest country by land area in the world. Well, now, a lot of that is, is very, very north where like conditions are pretty inhospitable. But uh, there is a lot of... Getting more hospitable every year as the planet heats up. Eventually, it's going to be the tropics, well, man. The, the zombie outbreak will probably fix that for us. Oh, that's true too, yeah. Um, there's a, um, there was a, a thing in the news. Actually, Canada has just crossed 40 million people in population. For reference, the United States, the last I heard, had 330 million. So mm-hmm. we have basically 10%, or give or take, of the population of the U.S., and I think we're twice as big, three times as big by land mass. No, it depends on if you're including Alaska, because Alaska is just bonkers huge. Um, we're not substantially larger than the U.S. when you include Alaska, but we are larger. But like you're including, you know, everything that is up north, oh, kind of yeah. swinging up beside Greenland and, and whatnot in the Arctic well, Circle. And, so you know, all of the stuff north of the Arctic Circle that is somewhat under contention, and that island that we're at war with, uh, with Denmark uh, over. Yeah, yeah. Did you? Stefan Milo, I think, did a video on that one. I think I shouted him out as a recommendation in one show. Oh no, it was another channel that I was watching. Uh, one that I just started that has like a, a funny animation style similar to like the, uh, Minute Earth and Minute Physics style, just sort of a whiteboard kind of doodly type thing. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to dig it up. So in terms of uh, how long do I think I could survive, it would certainly depend on the circumstances. Uh, let's say that Hawaii is unreasonable and it's just northern Canada. Honestly, if you can survive long enough to get up there, you're probably going to survive as long as you can without running into a major medical emergency or aren't able That's to find sustainable food sources, right? The the funny thing is, like, it it depends again on like, are we talking like movie style zombie apocalypse where you got to fight your way through zombies? In which case, like, well, I'm with forty eight, that's the thing with forty eight hours notice. Like, I, I'm thinking that like we can we can avoid that situation. Maybe yes and maybe no. But if you if you think about uh, okay, like you're gonna you're gonna like go like hardcore prepper for forty eight hours. You know, I'm gonna hunker down. Uh, you know, fence off my town. Uh, like what's his name in last of us mm-hmm. um, like could i do that in 48 hours no um if i get into that situation where like i have to you know fight my way through zombies then i i give my odds at like 10 percent. like just it's not 10 percent to I, get I'm, through the first hour yeah, I, yeah you know like it's it's you know i have i have few illusions about my ability to move quickly or to be violent as necessary. And I'm not going anywhere without my wife, you know, and she just had two knees replaced. So we're not, we're not running ever. Right. It's like, if it's fast zombies, we're screwed. If it's slow zombies, then, you know, it's like having an accident at 10 miles an hour on black ice, Mm -hmm. you know, where you can roll down the window and say to your neighbors, yep, I'm having an accident. We're about to crash. It's going to happen any minute now. That would be me running from slow zombies. It's like, I'm not getting away they're not getting any closer either yeah and that'd be the tough thing because like uh my wife for instance has uh, several medications that she requires now um a lot of them are just to deal with side effects of other medications so she could probably survive without them but it'd be kind of kind of touch and go 
So, you know, just just abandoning uh, uh, an area without like, I guess I got 40 hours, maybe or 48 hours. I can knock off a like a drugstore or something. But (laughs) Uh, yeah, there was give me all your insulin. Like there was a movie that I recommended and heaven help me if I can remember it. But that was actually kind of the premise of the movie was a guy walking along, picked up a payphone. He went on a first date uh, and on his way home, he was like, yeah, I had a good first date. And he, he, a payphone rings, so he picks it up and it's a guy from some military base who thought he was calling his dad, warns him of an impending nuclear war. Um, it ha- uh, I've recommended this a bunch of times and I, I, I It's like a, it's like a love story during nuclear war, and it's basically this is the premise of the movie: is this guy has forty eight hours notice, oh. twenty four hours notice, and he goes around trying to warn people, and some people believe him, and some people don't. And um, what's her name from uh, Seinfeld? Was it Ellen? What was her Elaine? name? The actor uh, Julie Louise Dreyfus. Yeah. Yes, she was. She was in it. I have no uh, idea she, what you're talking about, man. Uh, she she has a podcast, apparently. Or at least that's what Google is telling me. Uh, nuclear war movie. Three hours later. It's called Miracle Mile, and it had Anthony Edwards starred in it. it was, when was this? 1980-something? 1988. A young man hears a chance phone call telling him that nuclear war has started and missiles will hit his sev- city in 70 minutes. Okay, so I was wrong. He's basically got an hour's warning, right? And the whole movie is about him struggling to A, convince people that it's real and B, try and find a way to get places. And he does He does actually convince some people uh, and like arrange a helicopter and they're going to fly to Alaska uh, but it's just like this this sequence of events uh, is what I imagine would happen. All of the ancillary stuff that happens as you're trying to figure out a way to survive is actually what makes the interesting story. Mm-hmm. So the zombie portion of it is actually kind of boring. It's like, eh, it's zombies, whatever. It's all of the, okay, what else do we have to do in order to survive as as the zombies are approaching? Anyway, I would highly recommend watching Miracle Mile. It's it's a cheesy '80s movie, but it's it's got lots of really good character moments in it. Well, we'll have to check it out. Uh, let's uh, get into parting gifts, and we'll call that your first one. Then. And I show you right. how deep the rabbit hole goes. Anybody want a peanut? Miracle Mile. Yes. Watch it. Anthony Edwards' vehicle. All right. You've actually mentioned a couple of things in the show notes. Uh, I have. Yeah. Um, Electro Swing Radio, which I may have mentioned before, is a, a new, uh, like 1920s, 1930s swing music set to modern kind of dance hall beats, you know. Except with more of a swing vibe to it, they have a an app 
that is actually available for Android. I have no idea about Apple. Um, they also have a website available, generally speaking, on YouTube in various places. So check that out. It's pretty cool. Your talk of books actually reminded me of a thing called the Bain Free Library, which is a place where Bain Books puts like sort of the first book of a series that isn't selling well or is out of print. Here it is. It's free. Read the first one. First one's free. Then you got to pay. <laughs> Very um, nice. There's some, there's some things that are like just like the whole series is up and some of it's good stuff. Some of it's kind of, you know, pulp, but that's that's what you know, Bane Books does a lot of. It's, it's there and it's free and you can just go read it. Very nice. Uh, my recommendation this week uh, is a dude by the name of Milo Rossi. Uh, his YouTube channel is Mini Minuteman. And he, uh, I've been binging his stuff. Uh, my wife's been watching a lot of it with me. He's uh, a young, uh, like an archaeologist, but archaeologist turned content creator. Uh, his channel has a lot of legit sort of archaeology stuff. Like he just finished a, a tour of Turkey. So there was uh, interesting stuff about. Uh, a few sites there, uh, Haran, Gebekli Tempe. Um, but he also does a lot of kind of funny, like I'm in the middle of a series right now where he's basically uh, going through all of the, the Graham Hancock uh, ancient apocalypse series on, on Netflix. Uh, Graham Hancock is a fairly well-known like pseudo-archaeologist. Uh, pseudo and he's just ripping them apart uh, in sort of. An I don't want to say it was aliens, way. but yeah, aliens. Not not quite that bad, but but just just a little bit better than that kind of quality <laughs> stuff. But it's still it boils down to you know who the idea is. It's you know you look back and 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 all of our sort of big developments come from this ancient. Uh, uh, culture of humans that lived 12,000 years ago, you know, Atlanteans or whatever. And, and you the electrum at, cap on the pyramid generated electricity. And it's a true fact. You can look it up, do your own research. Yeah. Anyway, he does that. He also does a lot of like YouTube shorts where he just starts uh, dunking on and debunking a lot of uh, like TikTok kind of pseudo archaeology stuff. Uh, but he is legit as well, and he does a lot of of, of real archaeology. He's actually, I think, leading a, a group into Peru coming up, and he's going to do a lot of uh, a lot of coverage of that on his YouTube channel too. Just a young dude, his production quality is is kind of trash for a lot of his stuff, but it's easy enough to overlook. He's charismatic, entertaining. He's not what you think of when you you think sort of archaeologist. He's just this kind of punk kid. <laughs> but he's, he's about, really good i think about guys in leather jackets and funky hats and with carrying a whip yeah no That's he's, he's not even that him. either he's he's <laughs> somewhere between like theater art student and a librarian yeah no just uh, anyway check him out uh milo rossi uh mini minute man is the name of his youtube channel 
And I think that's all I've got today. I was going to try and find the name of that other channel I was referencing that did the whiteboard doodle style stuff, but I don't have it offhand. And I'm not going to waste seven and a half hours looking for it. Do you have anything else you Come want to on, talk Dan, about today? It's like such riveting content. I, you know what? It would be kind of just off the cuff and two drinks in. This seems like a good idea. and It's probably terrible. Can you imagine uh, a, like a live stream of just somebody's Google searches for the day? Or you, you edit out kind of the blank space in between, but it's literally just what are they searching for? What are they actually searching for? What pops up in the suggested things that they actually follow down the rabbit hole? I don't know. I think it would be riveting for about eight and a half seconds. Hell of an eight and a half seconds, though. Do we really yeah, I mean, yeah, open up Google and look at your, your most recent searches and, and tell me if you still think it's a good idea? Uh, I don't even have to go that far. But I do think that it would be an interesting uh, sort of gambling or drinking game to try and how long does it take before they start searching for porn? <laughs> I mean, Google's not where you go for that. So probably a while. I'd bet it'd be a while. I mean, you can search for boobies in Google and it'll give you boobies. It's true. It's just like the least efficient way to, to, to do it. Don't need efficiency. I handle the efficiency on my own. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, you said it'd be good for seven and a half minutes. What are we going to do with the other six minutes and 45 seconds? I mean, that's, that's just the foreplay. Good night, Telson. Yeah, I think that's probably a wrap.